Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. The head of the FBI says agents in Albuquerque made history with a drug bust earlier this month. In September, our Albuquerque office conducted the largest takedown of fentanyl ever for the FBI, arresting four people with more than a million fentanyl pills. That's enough fentanyl to have killed thousands of people. That announcement five months ago probably came as a surprise to a lot of New Mexicans. And it's not a description anyone really wants for Albuquerque either. But the largest fentanyl bust in FBI history happening in Albuquerque, if anything, it also shows the work the feds are doing in New Mexico to address the flow of drugs through the state. Now, since that first big bust in September, Albuquerque's FBI agents actually just made another one in February with ties to the original September case. An FBI raid in the South Valley not only turned up drugs and guns, but also a high profile suspect who was once featured in a prison reality show. Drug cases aren't the only cases the Bureau addresses here locally either. There are bank robberies, violent crimes, crimes on tribal land, white collar cases, probably a lot more that I'm missing here as well. But all of this sort of makes me think, though, despite the mysterious nature the feds and the FBI can carry sometimes, it seems that the FBI is doing a lot in Albuquerque. And we've noticed, Chris and I, having covered news here in New Mexico for more than a decade, the sort of public presence the local FBI has had recently, particularly at news conferences where local law enforcement is standing side by side with the feds, showing the public, look, we're working together on these things. So here we are today, new week, new podcast, and we wanted to talk about the FBI in Albuquerque. The person who oversees the local office, special agent in charge, Raul Buhanda, is here to talk to us today. Raul, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. All right. So, Raul, you took the role as special agent in charge of the Albuquerque field office, as I understand, in 2021. You joined the FBI as a special agent, though, in 2002 and before the SAC spot. Most recently, it sounds like you served as a section chief in the criminal investigative division at the FBI headquarters in D.C. You've also worked in Portland, Oregon. Shout out to Oregon. That's where I'm from. In El Paso, Texas, you've investigated violent crime, gang crime, Mexican-based drug trafficking organizations. And this part of it, I didn't know. Prior to the FBI, it sounds like you were also a fifth grade teacher. Is all of that background correct? Correct. That's what you need to be an agent in the FBI. <laughs> the the that's, teaching well, as That's well. what yeah. toughens you out to be an, you know, to be an FBI agent. If you agent. can handle the oh, classroom. Oh yeah, if you can handle that classroom, then you can handle working with the men and women of the FBI. That is true. Sometimes kids can be pretty crazy, so to speak. So. <laughs> Chris is an uncle to many. Um, well, thanks for joining us. We know as journalists that some of the work the FBI does seems somewhat secretive, maybe, or not as publicly known about as some of the local police investigations that we report on. But we also know that since you've been in charge, it seems like, at least to us, that there's been a bit of a shift in how much you guys do share with the public. Let's start there. When you came in, did you come in with a mindset of wanting to be more open or transparent or raise the profile of the agency locally? So there was some of that, right? They did want to make sure that the public knew what it is the FBI was doing. You know, the way I see it, it's not our FBI, it's everyone's FBI. And if you're not getting the service that you would expect from the FBI, then I want to know. So I did want to kind of get out there and make sure that people knew that we were here 
you know, I've, sometimes I come across and people don't even know where our office is at. And that's kind of surprising because it's been there for 20 years. Right. You know, it's been part of this community. So the people in this, in the FBI are part of the community. And, you know, when we talk about FBI, you know, and I always refer to the men and women because those are the ones that do the great work. It's, uh, it's broader than that because we have a lot of TFOs. And to me, they are the men and women of the FBI. So that's your state and local partners because they are vested in everything we're doing. So you, you mentioned the great stuff that we do on the criminal side. And then there's that other side of things, the national security. And we have a lot of national interests within the state that we protect on a daily basis. So we're just as committed to making sure we're keeping those parts of what we do safe. So did I come in to try to maybe raise the awareness? Maybe a little bit, but I think it's a lot more of just how I've always been and how I've worked as an agent. I've always wanted to be the best of what I was doing personally, not necessarily better than any other agency. Don't want to go there. I just wanted to be the very best that I could do. And I think to me, being out in the community and being very active and working with our partners and listening to what the community's concerns are and trying to address those concerns is what the FBI should be doing. What would you say generally is sort of the power of the feds? What can you do with your agency that maybe local law enforcement can't do? So it's always that federal nexus, right? So local law enforcement does a fantastic job. They have a lot of different tools that maybe we don't have. But it's that partnership working together, bringing in that federal tie to some of these local matters is, I think, important, especially when sometimes there's just stiffer penalties on the federal side. And I think most people would want to see, especially a repeat criminal, go away for a longer period of time than just being out the very next day. To me, that would be disheartening. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier TFO. I don't want to assume people know what that is. Yeah, so that's, that's a task force officer. Got it. Right. So these are state and local, usually deputies. Uh, detectives within their departments, so whether it be Rio Rancho, New Mexico State Police, Albuquerque, you name it, they've given up. So that's, if you think about it, they've given up their resources that they need, desperately need, to come work with us because they believe in the mission of trying to make sure that we're going after the, the worst criminals and that we're putting penalties and putting these people away for longer periods of time. So to me, that's, yeah, that's impressive. So how many people work in your office? Is the local Albuquerque FBI office at full staff? Yes. So we're pretty much, we always kind of bounce around 98% fully staffed. And that's, and I'm talking about all positions, not just agents, whether it's our intelligence personnel, whether it's administrative personnel. And, and so we cover it throughout the state. Our headquarters is here in Albuquerque, like we mentioned, but we also have five satellites office we'd call resident agencies, Las Cruces, Roswell, Farmington, Gallup, and Santa Fe. And we have different uh, folks that live there, depending on the population. That's how the FBI kind of figures where we're going to put our people. And depending on the size of the city is how many personnel we have for the FBI there. That's pretty impressive given the vacancy rates that we've seen in like local agencies. The FBI is cool. <laughs> I mean, that's never gone Everyone away. To work people, for you. people still want to come and, and do the right thing, right? Because you know, bottom line, we're not throwing money at people. People come and want to work for the FBI because it's they want to do something better, right? They want to. We So we have our own natural high that I always tell new people that come in. So you're going to come and you're going to work, say, let's talk about an espionage case. And you're going to work that possibly for years. And at the very end of that case, you're going to go and arrest that individual, so you're going to create this natural high that you're probably going to be floating on air when you get home. You know, I'm talking about the husband gets home and he and he wants to tell, you know, wants to say, but he can't say. But, you know, he's floating because he is on this natural high. And then his wife tells him to go take out the trash and then he brings him back down to earth. But he'll experience that high again because he'll get to work, look for the next 
spy that's out there and experience it all over again. So to me, that's kind of addictive. That's why we continue to do what we do. That's why it's not you just rest on the one seizure or the one bust or the one arrest. You want to continue doing it over and over, especially when we're talking about our most vulnerable, right? The elderly or children. Right. So the FBI apparatus across, say, New Mexico, is that a couple hundred people that work for it or? So we're right around 300. Okay. Throughout the state. Right on. So let's talk about your role as the SAC. What what really has been your role in Albuquerque? If you can maybe just give us sort of high level understanding of the work that your field office does and what you do. So my biggest, you know, when it comes to the roles of what I consider to be important, especially coming into like Albuquerque, which is, you know, I grew up in El Paso, like we mentioned earlier. So I kind of knew the community. So this community looks like the community that I grew up in. And uh, I wanted to make sure that those roles were not dictated by anything that I came in with a perceived right notion of what I thought it was. So I came in, I, I kind of reviewed what was done previously by my predecessors to see the things that they considered to be important. And then I looked at what is it that I keep saying, you know, when you are reporting, you know, because I kind of put a big gauge on what you're reporting is what the community considers to be important. Listen to that, spoke with the folks that were around me, spoke with my media rep, you know, he, Frank, he always kind of keeps me straight, making sure what's out there. And then my role became to address all of those things and all those concerns by prioritizing, obviously, our resources. We would like to do everything, but we couldn't. We can't, right? We just have, we have those constraints like everyone else, but I'm not in the business of saying no. So we're always going to do everything we possibly can. Even you've noticed it, right? Because we, we are in things that would be considered local matters, but we're in those local matters because the community thinks they're important. If it seems like the FBI is sending out more news releases about bank robberies than usual, that's because they are. Our investigative colleague, Ann Perrette, did an investigation last year about one of the focal points of the FBI's work, that being bank robberies. She reported about a record number of those cases in Albuquerque, and then a year later, there have been at least four to start off 2023. Are bank robberies still a record problem in Albuquerque, you think? I think it's declining. So I think a lot of the, and maybe we could do a little better job of putting that information out, is a lot of those folks, especially last year that did commit some of these bank robberies are already in custody. And most of them, a lot of them are repeat offenders. So we're kind of knocking that down, but you know, bank robberies is kind of our history of the FBI over a hundred years. It's kind of what kind of going into this, right? Protecting banks, but also going after those violent criminals. So I don't think it's ever going to leave our blood. Uh, we're always going to keep doing it. Uh, but obviously some of these uh, are not just as egregious as some other things that we should be involved in. Mm -hmm. We definitely in the media as journalists see a lot of uh, news releases like from Frank, be on the lookout for this guy. You know, there's usually pretty good surveillance footage of the bank robbers. That crime carries a penalty of up to 20 years if convicted and 25 years if using a gun, any other dangerous weapons. So even if you're faking it with a toy gun or say a hoax bomb, I mean, it's a serious crime. Why do you think so many think they can get away with it? So I think it's the way it's set up, right? So the bank is always concerned about their people, like they should be. Well, they want to make sure that everyone is safe. And, and you have to take that threat of that bank robber seriously. So they've been instructed, trained by their various uh, companies or various banks to do just to make sure get this person out, remove the threat. And, and these bank robbers know that, right? They know that they're going to be able to walk away with some 
small quantities, usually very small. That's that's the part that just drives me, you know, crazy. Like we're not talking about thousands. We're not talking about the movie Heat and they're doing takeover bags. We're talking about hundreds of dollars. And literally, you're kind of putting your life on the line for a couple hundreds hundreds of dollars. And like you said, there's always great footage. We have a great response with local response. You're gonna get caught. Is it really worth it? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, and I have to say that the FBI office has come up with some very creative names. Right. For Frank who comes to look with, out yeah, Frank for. comes up with those names. He's very catchy. Names. Like, yeah. I'm not that creative. There was the orange raincoat raider, the rip jeans robber, um, <laughs> sports sweatshirt swindler. Yeah. I can recall. So I'm shout I'm, out to I'm Frank. I'm always interested yeah, exactly. in seeing who's actually sitting what, what in this room, but he just doesn't yeah. have a microphone. So yeah, we appreciate the work. See, I would be bank robber number one, bank robber number two. See, so he's yeah. he's way more creative than I am. <laughs> So I wanted to also talk about, as I call it, the big F word right now, not the curse word, but rather that is fentanyl. The Albuquerque FBI office, as mentioned, helped make the largest fentanyl bust in the bureau history here in September. These investigations, you know, they seem to be really time consuming to put together. And while they certainly, you know, have a result, right? You see all the drugs that are removed off of the street. You see the amount of money that's removed. I think there's definitely some people in the public, because I know I just got an email about this yesterday. People say, you know, sarcastically, oh, I feel so much safer. You know, these people are going to go out and they're still going to do it. They'll be back on the street tomorrow. So my question is, you know, with that in mind, and I'm sure you've heard some of the criticism that just revolves around the criminal justice system and the apparatus it involves. My question to you does it actually make a dent when you have these big busts? You know, can you tell us a little bit more about maybe the outcome of the Albuquerque bust, if possible? So, the, you know, I've had this in many different instances throughout the various years to include when I was in Portland and, and El Paso. When I got to Portland, uh, heroin was a huge problem. And this is still heroin of the days of putting it in, putting a needle into your arm and tons of overdoses. So there was that, you know, what is that something that when I was arriving, that was a question that that management was kind of posed with. Is that something the FBI should be focused on? And so there's all that back and forth. You really we go and we go after it. Is that going to relate to any kind of results? And uh, so we still did it, but we did it with a very small footprint. And I think the results showed in those communities that you didn't see it as blatant like you did in other places. Mm -hmm. They weren't down just on the corner plaza still injecting themselves. That disappeared. Mm. And it's one of those things, if you don't go and, and try to attack it and continue to be, you know, it's not just us. It's all these different agencies that are part of it to include DEA and, and all the efforts that are going on. If you don't continue to attack it, then you're just opening those floodgates. And imagine that world when the floodgates are completely open and it's available to literally our, our youngest in elementary school. Because fentanyl, if you know, if you've seen the pictures, especially like the rainbow colored, they could be mistaken for candy. And it's not because they think they're they want to take a fentanyl pill; it's because they're they take mistake it for something else. Mm. And if we want to have that kind of volume on our streets, I think that's a dangerous place to be. So I, when I go, when people ask me that question and say, we have to continue to attack it because that not to attack it would be given up and mm -hmm. we can never give up because I think it's our communities are that important, right? We want to make sure that everyone is safe. So we'll keep doing our thing and we'll keep taking these seizures and we'll keep taking those critics. That's fine. I want to be criticized. I want people to push me to want to do more and, uh, and then we'll just keep doing more. We'll keep taking it. We'll keep raising the price of fentanyl in the streets, right? Because that's what happens, supply and demand. 
So we keep taking out, taking away the supply. Well, demand's going to go up. Price is going to go up. We're making it more difficult, right? And you would say, well, is that going to cause other problems? Well, it's, you know, it's never the one approach, right? You have to look at the retail theft and attack that as well. We do that through our Hobbs Act because, you know, that's our federal kind of tie usually towards robberies. But you keep you keep at it and you have to focus on all the different things that drugs kind of will kind of start up. It sparks up. Right. It's just one part of it. It's a huge part of it. But, you know, we can talk about guns and all these things. These things are all intertwined. But you can't stop because if you stop, then you're just going to go open up for the floodgates to recklessness. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. When that large bust happened in September. You know, do you feel that, that there has been um, a level of change since then or, or other matters that have sort of emerged since then that you have been able to maybe address more clearly? So I think what I saw is I think the community kind of opened their eyes a little bit and we've seen a lot more information coming into our office and to our local offices, uh, my local PDs as well, about them wanting to get this out of their, this poison out of their other communities. So that's been the great thing is that there's this awareness out there that there's this huge drug that's really impacting our community and, and they want to make a difference. And they're calling in that information and we're following up on those leads. And And I think we're just better equipped right now, right now, today to address this problem. I know the Violent Gang Task Force fits into a lot of this work. And so I wanted to ask you about how they fit in. What is it exactly that they do sort of, how does that operate? You mentioned it's a task force. So imagine comprised of not only FBI agents, but local agents is what it sounds like. I know they were central even to a a recent filing about the recovery of $130,000 and nearly a quarter million fentanyl pills in another case that we reported about on Valentine's Day that happened after a crash. But question about the task force, how do they fit in to all of this work? So, uh, So the task force is set up, like you mentioned, of all these different agencies. On that specific bus that you're referring to, that was a New Mexico State Police. According to the FBI, last Thursday, a state police officer clocked Viaz traveling at about 125 miles an hour on I-25. They say he eventually crashed into the intersection of Bridge and La Vega. The one thing that people don't realize now is that they have those ties with the FBI. So then they think there's just a local officer that's doing a stop. But they, what they forget is he has a friend that now works in the FBI who's already been federally deputized. They, they, they can go out there on their own, which is this is the case. This was a, a sergeant with New Mexico State Police who wrote that affidavit that went and did the seizure and didn't charge him on the state local level. He's charged federally. So that's the one great thing about how the task force is set up is we look at all these things because they're, they're the ones that are really the eyes on the streets every single day and every single night coming across these criminals. And they're reaching out to us. And the way the task force is set up, the Violent Gang Task Force, is we start to take that information in. So our job is to obviously look at the organization, in this case, the gangs. And any group that, whether it's very formalized and they have a, you know, uh, a plan and a hierarchy or they're loosely associated, it doesn't really matter. As long as they're doing something that's obviously a negative towards the community, we're going to look at it. Whether it's guns, whether it's drugs, whether it's just retail theft. And then we attack that organization as a, as a whole. And then we try to make sure that we have the biggest impacts when we go and make those arrests. So a lot of searches of different residents that are associated to them, stash houses, and, and the individuals themselves. And that violent gang task force, it sounds like, has been very busy recently. Yeah, always busy. What are the agencies that comprise the so task force? Everyone we've mentioned, from Rio Rancho to New Mexico State Police, Albuquerque PD, and several others that I'm forgetting, but those are our main ones, obviously, because they're focused here in Albuquerque. And don't forget BCSO. They're a great partner of everything else, especially with the new sheriff. 
He's, uh, he's shown a commitment to want to continue and pursue these same things. Again, why? Because they consider it to be important, right? And he just wants to have another tool. And that's what the FBI becomes to our new Sheriff Allen, that we are a tool for him to go out there and make sure he's making an impact like he wants to do, right? Whether his objectives and priorities, and if I can help in that, that's exactly what I want to do. That's what we've kind of noticed is just, you know, like the, these local press conference, you've got like almost all the local departments and the federal agents in the same room, which is sort of a newer look than in years past. Um, but we did mention that September bust earlier to circle back to it just one more time, because I feel like it sparked just this whole other series of events. It ended with more than a million fentanyl pills and mounds of cash. Then at the beginning of February, the FBI has another series of raids, more guns, more drugs, more cash seized, three people arrested in that raid. Chris alluded to this earlier, the idea of making a dent in the problem. The term whack-a-mole comes up, you know, where, for example, you might take out the leader of one drug operation, but then there's someone else that comes in to fill that spot. Is that how you see some of these arrests going? So I think a lot, and they probably have the same mindset that I do, is that don't quite see it like whack-a-mole. You kind of see it like this is what we do, right? Then we're good at it. So we're going to keep doing it and keep going after the next person. So you don't see it so much as whack-a-mole, but I could totally see it from the outside looking in, right? It kind of seems that you're just going after the next person. There's some of that that goes into it, but I think for me is the more that you can disrupt that network, first of all, you learn a whole lot, right? So once we go and we talk to these individuals, they tell us about where they're getting their drugs from, whether it's coming from the Texas side, whether it's coming from the Arizona side. So we learn a lot about their networks themselves. So we start those investigations on just the drug trafficking piece, right? So that's a separate group, the group that we've been talking about. So we want to make sure that we're looking down south, right, to, we can, so we can start making an impact there as well. But at the same time, we're look at learning more about what's happening here. And the more that we learn about it, the more that we're going to be able to disrupt it. So when, so that hopefully, you know, year for now, those seizures that we're talking about are way smaller than what we're getting now because we've learned so much more, we've addressed it, and we've kind of kept the, our foot on the gas. And that's, I don't see it as whack-a-mole. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that's kind of the pitch to always join the FBI because it's a lot of fun. Since you've been in this role in Albuquerque, what do you see as one of our biggest challenges? So the obvious, right? Uh, retail theft, guns, and drugs. I mean, I see a lot of violent crime. Uh, and, you know, it's disheartening, right? So you'll be showing up to a Lowe's and you see that there's something just happened, a little chaos going on. And then you just, just listening to the employees there, you realize that someone just walked away with a saw, a chainsaw. And just got in a car and ran away and just plain daylight, you know, with lots of people there or, or a Walgreens that'll, you know, when they go to my local Walgreens and they tell me their policy is, no, we just go ahead and let them go because, again, safety of our personnel. And I totally get that. But that's that's not right. Right. So mm -hmm. we used to when we grew up, we had these we never wanted to get in trouble. I don't think I ever wanted to get in trouble, even though maybe I did, but I didn't want to. <laughs> right. But uh because I feared law enforcement. I feared what was the repercussions from my home, my mom, my grandmother. It doesn't That seems to be kind of blurred a little bit right now. Mm. And I think uh, with the accessibility of so many guns everywhere, we're not just talking about legal purchase, but the illegal purchase that you, because we have so many guns when we go and do these raids, that there is no days of trying to resolve something, even if it wasn't a fist fight, but trying to resolve it in that means. It's right away going to the accessibility of a gun, and then, obviously, the increase of gun violence. I mean, those were the obvious things. And plus, you know, anytime you, unfortunately, you Google us, 
here in Albuquerque, that's the first things you start to see. I hope that people start to just see all the great things that our community is about. Mm-hmm. When you compare your experiences in different communities, say Portland, El Paso, Albuquerque, how do you see Albuquerque in terms of how it's able to deal with its problems? And I, and I ask that from a perspective of, you know, there's a lot of people that look at Albuquerque from the outside and just think that the city, the state of New Mexico is overrun. And, you know, you have perspective working in a lot of different communities. Each community obviously has its own challenges. You mentioned what you see Albuquerque's are. But I guess when you compare those ones, you know, what do you say to people who who seem to think that the city, the state is overrun with crime? So the one thing is then the one great thing that I have on any weekend, anything that's happening, whether it's something that's maybe a threat to a school. It's really great to be able to know that I can pick up the phone and I can talk to Harold at APD if that's if that's where it's happening. Or I call Tim and say, hey, we're at the outskirts and what do you think about this? Just to be able to have, or Sheriff Allen for that matter, just to be able to have that capability of knowing that those friendships exist and there are friendships and those ties, that to be should be like a message to the whole community. We're talking to each other every day and there is no competition between us. Like everyone's on board to do the right thing. In those other places like in Portland and El Paso, yeah, there was good agencies doing the right thing, but they were doing the right thing separate and apart from each other. In silos. And to me, that's that's not the way to be able to be in law enforcement. You have to be able to kind of use each other's tools, so to speak, to be able to resolve the same problem. We're all trying to do the same thing. We all want to do the right thing. So to me, that is a huge positive in this community that I've seen that's different in other places is that we're all attached at the hip and we all want to make we're all talking about anything from the smallest thing to the biggest thing. And we just want to make sure that we're applying the right resources to get something addressed as quickly as we possibly can. And like I said, we don't have all those capabilities. There's a lot of capabilities within the state and locals that that we need. And without them, we just wouldn't be able to do our job. And hopefully those partnerships will provide long term impacts right on like the safety community if you put people away on federal charges like you said that's a lot longer yeah most definitely because it's not before and i would have said maybe i wouldn't name a place i was also in oklahoma city we'll say oklahoma city because we i mentioned oklahoma city where there would have been a time that uh that things don't come to our awareness because that department uh, just felt like they wanted to do it and didn't want to work with the fbi would be a bad place to be, right? Like, you know that there's a resource out there that can address this threat right now, but you choose not to because you don't have a relationship with them. You don't have that here. That happens. We're calling each other. I'm, I'm, right, I'm ready to give something away to Sheriff Allen. Here you go. You take it. You know, we'll take the next one. Uh, that's the kind of place it is because everyone just wants to make sure they're doing the right thing for, for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. Have you heard people say that to you? I mean, obviously we we've said it here in this podcast that we feel that just looking at a lot of these news conferences, the partnerships seem to be a, a lot more comprehensive than perhaps they have been in the last 10 years that I can think of. Have other people said that to you that they see these partnerships more prevalent these days in 2023? I do, especially here. I can't say that I've seen that everywhere, but I definitely see it here. I think like all of us, right? So the one thing that we always we, as much as everyone else, you know, you all want to know everything, all the details as to this investigation that's happening. We all want to tell you as well, because we're very proud of the work that's gone into getting to that point. Like we want to reveal all the details, but we don't do that piece only because we want to make sure that we get these individuals through prosecution. Right. We want to make sure that they go away for a long period of time. And that is the only reason why we're not sharing. So I think that's what the difference that you see is that all these agencies that are here, 
want to be as transparent as we possibly can because we want you to feel comfortable about what it is that we're doing. We don't want you to question that something's not being done because that's not the case. If we could share it all, we would. What is next for the FBI office here in Albuquerque? What's your goal as SAC this year? So I feel like now coming in, so in March, April was my first kind of day. This is my two-year mark. Starting to feel like I understand the community a little better. I think I understand everyone's roles as far as departments and jurisdictions. So I feel a little bit more comfortable. You know, I don't know if that's a good word, but I feel more comfortable just being here. I feel that I'm a New Mexican now. I don't know how people will actually say that, but I'm just down the roads. I mean, I was always close. I mean, I was right. definitely always in Las Cruces. I think that's got to count for something. Yeah. So uh, I think going forward now is just now that I feel a little bit more like my, my legs are under me to be able to really have a bigger impact. Like I, I just want to do everything that we're doing and just always take it to the next level, right? I'm never going to be satisfied with just, okay, it's just not me. It's not, uh, it's not how I was raised. It's not what, you know, I wouldn't be in this role if I hadn't had someone pushing me along the way to, to always do more and be better. And, and that's what I'm going to do. And the day when one of you or someone tells me and says, you know, your, your ideas are old or we're not really seeing an impact, that'll be my sign to say, okay, I need to step aside. Mm. And we need some nice fresh blood in here to be able to do the next thing and take it to the next level because we all deserve it, right? The community deserves it. It's not ever going to be about me. It's about the men and women of the FBI and all the state and local partners that make, make us who we are and making sure that they have everything they need. Mm. Anything we didn't ask you that you feel is important for the public to understand? So the biggest thing is let's continue to have that dialogue. And I think a lot of people are concerned for whatever the reason might be. But if you're sharing information with the FBI, it's really a one-on-one. We're never looking at it from, you know, some of the perspective that we're going to do something negative about the, towards the person that's giving us that information. We're going to take it and we're going to address it. Whether it's a threat that you think might exist and we find out it's nothing, that's okay. Because there might be the one that is, it is something, right? They hear there's a threat to a school or whatever the case may be. So I want to just put that message out there that the community continue to reach out to us. And, uh, and know that you're talking to us here in New Mexico. So you get this 1-800-CALL-FBI and people, where does that go? It's some call center. Yes, it does. But they quickly routed back here, right? Because they don't understand us from West Virginia where that call center is there. They understand us here. They tell us exactly what that information is. And it's our job to follow up on everything, whether we think it's legitimate or it's not. Until we find out that it's not, then we'll close it. If it has something, then we'll find out what is the appropriate place. Back to that partnership, right? We'll reach out to make sure that someone's addressing it, especially if it's a threat against someone's safety or a school safety or a mall or whatever the case may be. I don't want those things to happen here. Nobody wants those things to happen here. We're so aggressive about wanting to make sure that we get in front of these things that I want to just make sure the community understands that keep reaching out to us, keep calling us. You're talking to, you're talking to us, right? You're talking to me, and, and I, I promise you, that I don't care about what you've done in the past. I'm going to be very concerned and in tune with what the information that you're giving us to make sure that we're all doing the right thing. We appreciate you joining us. Um, before we let you go, I wanted to ask one lighter question, and it is about music. You've dropped some <laughs> song references in a few news conferences over the last year. Um, suddenly, I think a few of us have noticed uh, Shaggy uh, got referenced. It wasn't me in one of the recent... Uh, so you picked up on that one. See, no one ever said anything about that. <laughs> oh, we did, like, we did in the newsroom. We noticed. <laughs> Do you have any favorite songs, artists? 
So I'm like all over the place, right? So uh, <laughs> I think my son hates my, because I could go straight from the Bee Gees mm-hmm. uh, to obviously something more recent, like Britney Spears. Obviously, we heard that. That was on my playlist by mistake. So I think that just got stuck <laughs> in my head that day, and that's the reason why that came out. Right. But uh, I'm a lot of Dr. Dre. So, I mean, I really I'm, I really just enjoy music altogether, right? If I can, I can, uh, has got a good beat and like my son says you like anything that has a chorus right because mm-hmm. his music it doesn't make any sense to me and that's probably true that's probably <laughs> why got I a like. teenage son yeah yeah okay a teenage son. so you know he makes fun of me a lot like you know like teenage kids should right, right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah that's so i'm all over the place when it comes to music but yeah you know i'm a big fan of the mama mia soundtrack i mean there you go yeah throw mm-hmm. that out there yeah. so <laughs> I mean, again why because it's got great tunes right you can dance to it, do a good step. We love someone who appreciates a good tune. Fun fact for this podcast, the episodes that I've edited and added the music, Chris will always change my music preference. I'm sorry. Usually (laughs) it's him choosing our music, which is fine. He's got some good beats in there, but we're very particular about music on this podcast. Yeah. We usually try to switch it up every episode. So yeah, we appreciate you sharing your musical <laughs> taste with us and, and, you know, peppering in those little references here and there. Always keep an eye out for those Easter eggs at the next, yeah. next FBI oh, yeah. press conference. I got to start mixing in some of my obviously Mexican side of, of my culture. Right. So right, right. I do grew up with a lot of Los Tigres del Norte and those types of things. So maybe look out, maybe we'll throw some of that Lo Vicente next time. Lo Chente. So, all right. Yeah. All but, right. Like I said, all over the place. Okay. Well, Raul Buhanda, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast this week. All right. Thanks for having us. Thanks again to the special agent in charge of Albuquerque's field FBI office, Raul Buhanda, for coming in on the podcast and sharing more about what his goals are, what the agent's goals are, and just what they do. I think it was an enlightening conversation. Yeah, I think... um you mentioned their work is sometimes mysterious, but uh, you do get a sense of talking to a lot of the people who do the work that they really do want to let people know. But the prerogative of federal investigators just to, you know, be silent about a lot of what they do until they're ready to talk about it minimally or wait for the prosecution to play out in federal court. So we appreciate Raul joining us and also to note uh, we put Raul on the spot about his musical choices Um, it's only fair if I share some of mine as well Uh, one that may surprise you one of my favorite artists is Ellie Goulding so there you go there you go so Raul is not the only one who's uh, letting people know who his favorite choices are Gabby do you have one I do well the one might be preferential to your husband's band well yeah (laughs) go check out Hooks and the Huckleberries but also I the one that comes to mind I'm going to see Morgan Wade and Caitlin Butts next month in Santa Fe and I'm super pumped for that concert they're playing at Meow Wolf that's right really excited tickets you mentioned this earlier I know I'm still excited it's still exciting (laughs) well cool we appreciate everybody listening thanks for joining us here on the podcast every week you can reach me at Chris McKee TV on social social media and also chris.mckee at krqe.com. And I'm gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.